Well, I want to pass on the greetings also of Blair Gary Evangelical Church. I was uh, asked to speak at their church weekend away. I was up, up there over Friday night, Saturday morning. And uh, it was great to be with them. There's a church that's been there for about since the 1970s in Blair Gary. And in the last five years, they've grown from a gathering of about 20 people to a gathering of about 40 people. And they have a full-time worker, a guy called Stephen Goring. And it was great to be with them as they plan and strategize how they can reach uh, that town of about 8,000 people uh, with the gospel. So you could pray on for Blair Gowrie Evangelical Church, uh, one of the family of church, part of our family of the FIEC churches. Uh, so let's pray for them. And also let's pray for Peter. He's in India. He, he met with about 35 people uh, yesterday and was teaching them about preaching. His stomach is not in good form. And uh, you can only imagine. And so let's pray that he'd have uh, strength to do the ministry that the Lord would have for him. I think he's preaching today. It's probably already happened, I would imagine. But let's pray for him as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that all over the world your gospel is bearing fruit. And we thank you for the work that's going on in northern India in a place where there are very few Christians. Thank you that Peter and Z are able to be there and be an encouragement to that congregation in Lucknow. Please bless their conversations. Give them much wisdom and discernment. And Father, we pray uh, on as they head out to Narab Ganj and spend time with Andrew McCabe, uh, that you would uh, use that visit to strengthen Andrew and the team in the work that they are engaged with. Please continue to save uh, these young people and send out uh, not only Christian men and husbands, but missionaries, pastors, and church planters. Father, we want to thank you that your gospel is bearing fruit in Scotland. We thank you that there are gospel witnesses all over this nation. And we thank you for Blair Gary Evangelical Church. Would you use this weekend uh, to bring them to a unity of purpose and clarity about what they are there to do? And would you bless every effort that they have to commend Christ, that they may become a church of 400 people, uh, reaching the lost in that community. Father, we thank you that we can come to your word now. Would you speak uh, into each one of our hearts? Uh, Give us, uh, we pray, eyes to see the glory and greatness of your Son, that we may live for him in this week ahead. Amen. Well, I don't know whether it is... um, Escaped your notice, but to be a Bible-believing Christian is not a route to being very popular in our culture today. Uh, I think it was John Stott who said that there's two major idols in our society today. And those idols are tolerance and permissiveness. Tolerance, I can believe whatever I want to believe. And permissiveness, I can do whatever I want to do. And so as we speak out as Christians uh, about a God who is there, who can be known, who tells us how we should worship him and live for him, that just attacks these idols. And we get this strong reaction to any ways that we speak out about Christian truth. And so we're experiencing increasingly uh, what it is to be marginalized, scorned for 
uh, having uh, biblical beliefs. Uh, the secular society, uh, uh, the National Secular Society of Scotland has been continuing to work hard to try and eradicate any sort of uh, Christian influence on education boards. There were campaigns in the past week to campaign in Holyrood to try and get uh, rid of ministers being on education boards. Um, there's been lots of talk about uh, the dangers of evangelical groups going in and proselytizing in schools. It's, it's an awful sounding word, isn't it? Are you proselytizing? Ooh. Sounds like something you really shouldn't do to your dog, let alone another human being. Um, two days ago, a number of papers uh, reported the words of Professor Alice Roberts, who warned that children in private faith schools risk being subjected to indoctrination because of the teaching of creationism in science lessons alongside evolutionary theory. Of course, to teach that there is a God who created everything would allow for the fact that there might be something called absolute truth, and this really attacks our idols of tolerance and permissiveness. The great hot topic of the moment, of course, is the practice of homosexuality. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, on Celebrity Big Brother House, no, I don't watch it. I would advise you not to watch it. It'll turn your brain to mush. But nevertheless, it was widely reported that in Celebrity Big Brother House, um, Evander Holyfield, the former heavyweight boxer, was the first man to be ejected from the house. And I think good luck for him. I, I think it was probably a happy thing for him. And in a show which, by all accounts, is full of fairly indecent comments, uh, it was Evander that was called in by the producers and warned about his offensive language. And what was his offensive language? Expressing his biblical belief that the practice of homosexuality was not normal. Could not be tolerated. The Reverend Donald McGuinness, uh, a Church of Scotland minister, has been removed from his post as a chaplain of a Gaelic school, uh, in Scotland for expressing his disapproval of the government's same-sex marriage legislation on a Facebook page. And the mere hint of dissent is enough to get you fired from a chaplain's role. In the same week, a street preacher in Dundee who mentioned the list of sins in his preaching that included sexual sins was arrested. He was remanded in custody overnight and he was later released on bail to appear before a Dundee Sheriff's Court on the 22nd of April. Now, while we may question the wisdom uh, of this street preacher's approach, I simply use it to illustrate that expressing the Bible's teaching is not at all popular today. Um, it actually is a root of being marginalized, scorned, oppressed, and opposed. So how should Christians respond to this sort of environment? Well, what does God have to say? Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter and can I ask you first to turn to page 1217, 1 Peter chapter 1. We've had a break of about five weeks since we last looked at this letter, so I want to just give a brief overview of what we've seen so far in this letter. Peter is writing to encourage Christians who are um, seeking to stay faithful in an alien world. And uh, they were experiencing something of that marginalization of being scorned and opposed and slandered. And this letter is written to encourage people in exactly that situation. And Vaughan Roberts uh, has uh, summarized four main themes in this way. 
The first thing he does is he urges them to rejoice in their salvation. That's how the letter opens up. If you're being scorned and opposed for believing the Christian faith, what's the first thing you really need to do? Well, you need to be people who are actively rejoicing and delighting in the good news of the gospel, of all that you have in Jesus Christ, because you need to be reminded how good it is that you don't want to walk away from it. And that's how Peter starts. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Starts with praise. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. First thing we need to do is to keep rejoicing in what an awesome salvation we have, what an awesome thing we have in Christ. A living hope, an everlasting inheritance. Second thing he teaches them to do is to live good lives among the pagans. So from chapter 2, verse 11, to chapter 3, verse 7, that's the focus. So you look at chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The best way to respond when we're being slandered that we're up to no good is to be busy doing good. Knowing our identity as the people of God means that we will uh, pursue holiness, we'll abstain from the sinful desires of our culture, and yet it's, it's not withdrawal. We want to helpfully engage with our culture, engaging in good deeds. Third thing that uh, Peter keeps stressing through this letter is love God's family. It's important in a hostile culture that this should be a loving family when we gather together. A place of care and support and sympathy. And it's all over the letter. It's sprinkled all the way through. But look back at chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again. One of the signs that you're a born again Christian is that you love God's people. You love the family. And it's true of us. And yet it needs to, because it's, we do it imperfectly, uh, he needs to keep stirring us up. You do love the brother sincerely, so keep on loving. Uh, you'll see it again in chapter uh, 3 verse 8. Finally, all of you, Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. So, rejoice in your salvation. Live good lives among the pagans. Love God's people. And then from chapter 3, verse 8 onwards, suffer well. Suffer well. There is an inevitability of suffering in this life. Whether you're a Christian or not, there is an inevitability of suffering in this life. The only question is, are you going to suffer for something that's worth suffering for? That's the real question. 
Everybody suffers, but are you going to suffer for something that's worth suffering for? Are you going to suffer well? That's, that's where this letter is continuing on. And um, Liam uh, looked at chapter uh, 3, verse 8 to verse 12 last year, where basically Peter says to them, don't be deflected from love. You know, when people are treating us badly, what's our natural reaction? You withdraw, don't you? You get away from them. Uh, you, you basically uh, try and avoid them. Or you get angry and come back at them just as hard as they come after you. It's either fight or flight, isn't it? When people are being nasty to you. But actually, Peter calls us to a different response. Look at 3 verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with blessing because to this you are called so you may inherit a blessing this is what Peter is teaching Christians like us in the sort of context we're in today when people are actually slandering us and coming after us and saying nasty things that aren't true about us what should we do shouldn't withdraw and it's more than saying don't retaliate He's saying more than that, doesn't he? He's saying, bless them. So when people are coming hard at you, instead of going, you look for ways to bless those who oppose you. Now that is radical, isn't it? And that is what Peter, how Peter calls us to respond in the sort of culture that we're in. And that brings us to this section that we're looking at today. And if I want to summarize these verses from 13 down to 22... Uh, He's basically saying, don't be afraid to speak. Don't be afraid to speak. Now, we're going to have two bites at this cherry. We're going to come back at it next week and think some more about it. So uh, we're just going to cover some of it today. But let's let's read it. Chapter 3, verse 13, page 1219 in the Church Bibles. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven 
and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is God's words. Let's keep this open. All the really difficult stuff we're going to do next week. And I'll see how I feel next week when I put it off to the week after that. No. We're going to look at what's really plain in this text today. You know, if we're speaking about the Christian faith, and that's potentially getting us into trouble, what are we tempted to do? Exactly what you're doing right now. Keep silent. Keep our mouths shut. And the truth is that even the fear of having any awkward moments of social embarrassment, because we're British will be enough to keep most of us with our mouths shut. And so we need to hear the encouragement from Peter here that even though we're in a, in a culture that isn't exactly excited to hear about the Christian faith, we need to be those who open our mouths and who speak up. That we should not be afraid to speak when we have the opportunity to do so. And I want us to give two, two motivating reasons, really, why we should continue to speak in, in the culture that we're in. And the first reason is this. Don't fear because Christ is Lord. Don't fear because Christ is Lord. Look at verse 14. Uh, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. How do you overcome your fear of being mocked or ridiculed or rejected? Um, if you're speaking out about Jesus Christ, how do you overcome that fear? Well, the antidote is to remember this, how awesome and great Jesus is. That's what we need to do. In essence, we need to fear Jesus. To know how great he is. And if that's the case, we will not fear what people around us in work, in our society, think. That's the antidote. Do you remember, do you know how awesome Jesus is? Well, let me remind you from earlier in the letter. Look back at chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, this is how you become part of the people of God. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Even in Jesus' day, he was rejected by the religious leaders, most of them anyway. Uh, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and they looked at him, and they sniffed their noses at him, and they said, no, this is not our Messiah, this is not the king. And yet this was the very one that God had promised for hundreds and hundreds of years before. This is the very one that God had planned before the creation of the world that would come to be the, the Christ who would be king over his people, who would die to be their savior, who would rise to be their Lord. And this is the one that is rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to God. When we're talking about Jesus Christ, Christ, we are talking about one who is the very foundation 
of life. He is called the, um, the cornerstone. The cornerstone is that one stone in the foundation upon which the whole building is built. Uh, it, it takes its line, its form, its shape, its whole weight rests upon it. And that's who Jesus Christ is. He's the one that we should build our lives upon. For he is the, the only one whom God is pleased in. At his baptism, God says, This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He's called the living stone in that verse because, yes, he was rejected by men and crucified, but he was raised from the dead. He is the ever-living Savior. And that is life-changing, eternal, forever truth. Do you know how awesome Jesus is? He's also described in these verses later as the capstone. That's the, the stone in the middle of the arch where you've got these stones. And this is the keystone, the center that holds the arch together. He is the, 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 the stone of honor, the head over everything that holds everything together. That's what we learn in the book of Colossians. He made everything and in him everything holds together. Do you know how awesome Jesus Christ is? Well, our Old Testament reading was from Isaiah 8 and it was quoted. Uh, it's quoted here in First Peter chapter 3 and uh, verse 14, do not fear what they fear. And that's a quote from Isaiah 8 that was read to us earlier. And as we read, God tells Isaiah, don't fear what the people fear around you because the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, he's the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread and he will be your sanctuary. And do you see what Peter does with that reference? He takes a text directed to, to fearing the Lord Almighty and he uses it to refer to Jesus Christ. Do not fear what they fear, but in your hearts set apart, make holy, not the Lord Almighty, Christ as Lord. This was the stunning insight that changed Peter's life. Do you remember that they were crossing over the, the Lake of Galilee? And there was a storm and they were terrified. They thought it was going to kill them. And they were absolutely terrified because they didn't understand the identity of Jesus in the boat. If they knew that they had the creator of the universe in the boat, they would not have worried about a wee storm. But they didn't realize that. But he stands up and with a word speaks silence and everything dies down. He reveals his awesome creative power and, and they are absolutely terrified of Jesus. By the end of the story, they're more frightened of Jesus than they were of dying. Have we come to see how awesome and great Jesus Christ is? Uh, I, I continued the reading because, yes, he was crucified and he was buried, but uh, he was raised from the dead. Look at 3 verse 22. Where is he now? He has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I don't know who the most powerful person in your workplace is, who can have the most influence over you. 
But actually, if you're trusting Christ, you're trusting the one who is at God's right hand. The one before whom all the angels submit. All powers submit. All authorities will submit. Your boss might give you a hard time, but actually, if you fear the one who is the judge of all the earth, before whom everyone will have to give account, then really, I'm not so worried about what my boss thinks. I care about what Jesus thinks. Because he's at God's right hand. And so Peter is urging these Christians to remember who Jesus Christ is. And he says in verse 15, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Who's Lord over your heart? And that'll tell me what you're really frightened about. You know, the, the person who's Lord over your heart, you, you, you will look to serve them. You'll be frightened of their displeasure. You will live to please them. You'll shape your life according to whoever's Lord of your heart. I wonder who's Lord of your heart today. There is no Lord like the Lord Jesus Christ. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who came with all his awesome authority and might and gave himself humbly and sacrificed himself on the cross to to save us. There's no Lord like him. Every other Lord is deficient. Set apart Christ as Lord of your heart. Determine for your life that it's what Christ thinks that's the most important. Because of who he is. He is right now at God's right hand. All authorities, all powers, all angels submit to him. Have we set him apart as Lord of our hearts? Well, my guess is if we always keep our mouths shut and we never speak of him, that tells us that Christ is not really Lord of my heart. He is not the most precious one to me. Something else is more precious. Maybe my reputation. Uh, maybe my hopes for preferment or salary or, or regard. Maybe that is more precious to me. And that's why my mouth is shut. But if Christ is the most precious person to me, and he has all authority, all power, and I set him apart as, as Lord of my heart, then I will speak of him. Isn't that true? So that's the first thing. That's the first practical point. And it's fascinating, isn't it, just to see this working out in Peter's story. Remember Peter on the, uh, the, at the time of the trial? And um, a servant girl comes up to him and says, Oh, you, you, you're with that Jesus, aren't you? And under the threat of, of the crowd around this girl, he, he's, he's frightened. And he says, I never knew him. Three times he denies Christ. And yet this is the very one who after the resurrection will stand up in Jerusalem before thousands and declare to them, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What was the change? The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the moment when he realized how awesome Jesus is. 
When God's Spirit came upon him, it, it was clear to him there's only one person that's worth fearing and honoring and finding uh, joy and delight in. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that changed him. So that's the first practical point. What's going to help us keep speaking? Well, it's not to fear, but to set apart Christ as Lord. And the second one is a very practical thing. Be prepared to speak because we have a certain hope. Be prepared to speak because we have a certain hope. The second half of verse 15. Always be prepared. Sounds like a scout thing, doesn't it? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So what hope do you have? What's your hope? I'm hoping for a sunny summer holiday. Yes, I'm hoping for that too. But what, what's your real hope? What are you hoping? Well, this is the Christian hope. Look back at chapter 1, verse 3 again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why are we a a people who get on and do good in this world? We do it because we're a people of hope. A people who believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What did you do on the weekend? Oh, I went to church. I love going to church. It's so encouraging. What did you do? Well, then maybe they'll come back around and say, well, well, why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? Why do you spend so much time at that church? 26 years as an elder. Why on earth would you do that? Why do you serve in the Sunday school? Why do you do what you do? What's your reason? Uh, Why are you not devastated when you get that diagnosis of cancer? On a number of people I've known who are Christians who've been diagnosed with cancer... You know, their friends and family who are not Christians are absolutely devastated all around them. And the Christian is the one who said to go to them and say, Oh, don't, you know, don't worry, I, 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 I have a great hope. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. That explains my life. That explains why I do what I do, the way I live my life. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, what will enable you to give some answers for your hope? And it's a very simple thing, that you've prepared it. You've thought about it. I don't know whether you've ever, you know, like watching some of the comedians on telly, and you think, these guys are amazing. They're so hilarious. They just open their mouths and everybody is falling about laughing. You know, they must be genius. How do they do it? Do you know how they do it? The best spontaneity is thoroughly rehearsed. That's the truth. That's what an evangelist told me, a friend of mine, John Chapman. Look, Paul, the best spontaneity is thoroughly rehearsed, mate. The reason these these comedians are so genius is that they've done this hundreds and hundreds of times. They've gone and done this material over and over and over again. 
And, and the stuff that's rubbish, they chop out. And the stuff that's brilliant, they keep saying. And so actually, it looks effortless, easy, because they've rehearsed it. How do you think a preacher gets up here and speaks for half an hour? Do you think we've just got the gift of the gap? Do you think it's, I just wake up in the morning and think, oh, I'm going to speak on today, and I just get up and it just pours out? No. We, we spend 10 to 12 hours, if not more, studying, preparing to have something we hope is can edify and help. The best spontaneity is thoroughly rehearsed. So there you are. You may be um, heading to that family gathering, and uh, there's that confrontational family member who who is the least sympathetic, the most anti-Christian relative, and he thinks all religions are just the same, that they're just dangerous, that they deceive people, that they cause trouble. And um, out of nowhere he asks, so why do you bother with that Christianity? Are you surprised? Or are you prepared? Are you good to go? Have you been praying that actually give me that opportunity, you just know, I think this is the opportunity. And I've thought about what I want to say, and I'm going to say it. Are you prepared? Well, there's that colleague at work who uh, never seems to have a good word about Christianity. And there's that question. So, um, you really think all this stuff about Jesus is true, do you? What do you say? Nothing? Or something? Well, it all depends on whether you've prepared to say anything, isn't it? In my experience, if I've never prepared to say anything, I'll keep my mouth shut. If I've thought about something, I might say something. Is that true of you? And so Peter says very practically, uh, as he tries to encourage them, don't be afraid to speak. Then here's a very practical thing. Be prepared. Always be prepared. So have you thought about it? Have you thought about what you would say when people say, well, why do you do what you do? Why do you have this hope? Why are you not devastated? Why, is your, why, why are you ready to answer? You know, when we ask people to, um, who get baptized, you have a choice. You could just go into the pool and answer questions, uh, or you can come up and share your story. Now, we don't just let people come up here and just say the first thing that comes in their head. We just suggest them that they write it out. And people find that very helpful, very clarifying, to write out what they're going to say. Have you ever done that for your story, your testimony? Have you ever sat down and, and written out your story of how you became a Christian? That'd be the first thing that you could do to begin to prepare. And as you read that over, have a look at it. Does it just talk about you or have you talked about Jesus at all? Come back at it and think, actually, I want to include some bits about what, what Jesus means to me. Not just that I believe in Christianity, but what is it I believe? What do I think about Jesus? What has Jesus done for me? I'm going to include that in my testimony. And write it out again. And, and, and I tell you what, You'll be looking for opportunities to share that if you put the effort in, won't you? And he had a great suggestion earlier. There's a Glad You Asked course starting off. And uh, th there's some great materials there. Uh, some of the, the best thinkers in the world on video. Some of the best team we've got uh, leading it from Charlotte Chapel. And you could sit there and uh, go along and, and listen to some of the answers to some of the tough questions. So you don't, you know, it, it will be available for you to go along as a Christian and say, actually, I want to be better prepared to answer the tough questions. You know, why does God allow suffering? Can I trust the Bible? Well, these are all questions that the Glad You Asked course deals with. Why don't you think about going along and getting prepared? There's some great books and tools you can get hold of. 
Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, is a very persuasive and helpful book. James Anderson, who I think was a, on the staff team here, has just come out with a book on um, worldview that uh, a lot of people are raving about. Maybe we'll make it the book of the month. There's great resources if you want to get prepared for that opportunity to speak for Christ. Don't be afraid to speak up. Remember how awesome Jesus is and be prepared because you, you know what? We have an awesome hope. The more I chat with folk, the more I realize that there's no answers out there. There's no solutions out there. There's just despair and death and they don't know why they're here. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We have so much to share. We have such a glorious hope to pass on. Are we prepared for that? Look what it says. Um, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. It matters not just what we say, but the tone in which we say it. Especially when we're under attack and uh, people are coming to try and make a fool of us. It matters all the more about the tone that we speak these words with. We should do so with gentleness and respect, with a clear conscience. Uh, David Robertson is a free church minister who's very committed to evangelism, to apologetics. But he's written an article about the arrest of the street preacher in Dundee. And he expresses some concern about their approach. And he wrote this. If we seek to be faithful to Jesus Christ, then we are to obey his words to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That means in a culture where homosexuality is seen as a shibboleth issue and homophobia is the sin against the holy state, then you cannot stand on a street corner and shout out a sentence which includes homosexuality and sin in the same phrase without expecting some kind of violent reaction. Did the Apostle Paul stand on the streets of Rome and yell out, Caesar is not Lord? Did he parade the streets with banners declaring, down with the Antichrist Emperor? Did he? He didn't. Read Acts 26 as he stands before Agrippa. Uh, when you have time today, look up Acts 26 and just read the gracious and respectful way he engages with the Roman authorities. And yet how without shame he talks about the hope that he has in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he calls on the governor to repent and trust Jesus. It's an absolute model of this sort of engagement and we're kind of out of time so I won't read it to you. So two practical points this morning that will help us to speak up. Remember how awesome Jesus Christ is. Set him apart as Lord of your heart. And be prepared to speak when you have the opportunity. And the question is now over to us. What are we going to do? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have a great hope rooted in an empty tomb and a risen Savior. 
We thank you that we have a great Lord worthy of our worship. There is none like him. We thank you that you have raised the one that was scorned by men and yet is chosen and precious to you. You've raised him to your right hand. And all authorities and powers and angels submit to him. And Lord, we desire to submit our lives before him. Oh, Father, help us by your spirit that Christ would be Lord over our hearts. Give us the courage when opportunity comes this week that we would speak well of Christ and point to our eternal hope. In his name, amen.